on behalf of Tenable, Waterfall, and Kerasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast focused around smart cities, IoT security, where David Graham, Chief Innovation Officer at Carlsbad, California, Mike Cannon, Chief Technology Officer in Stafford County, Virginia, Mike Furstenberg, Director of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions, Michael Rothschild, Senior Director of OT Solutions at Tenable, and Nikhil Gupta, Core Cyber Sales Engineer Team Lead at Kerasoft, will discuss securing your devices as IoT becomes a foundational component of smart cities moving forward. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Uh, we definitely have a good uh, good session. We have a lot of experts. Uh, I'm the Kara expert, I guess, resident in-house, um, but the ones that we're having on the phone, uh, on the call today, I'm about to introduce them, uh, all of our panelists. They're the real experts here. Um, I'm very, you know, honored to be here and kind of moderating a session between them. We're going to kind of get good perspectives from both sides. We're going to get some, we have a couple of uh, people from Tenable and Waterfall Security Solutions, our sponsors for the event. And then we also have some uh, representatives from municipal governments in, in different counties in, in the U.S. So good perspective to get both. You know, we can get our vendor perspective and then as well as the actual uh, government employee perspective, right? Some things they're working on. So uh, so without further ado, let me introduce all of our speakers for today. Um, the panel that we have, uh, these guys have very, very long uh, and very uh, established pedigrees. So it's, it's amazing how much these guys have done. So uh, we're going to start out with you, David. David Graham is the CIO for Carlsbad, California. He is a veteran local government leader. Uh, he's worked for the County of San Diego, the City of San Diego, and private sector public affairs. Um, right now, as, as I mentioned, he is the Chief Innovation Officer for the City of Carlsbad uh, in the first position of its kind in the San Diego region. Um, he's co covering all the an electric car share fleet in North America. He's an open data platform for development permitting and the largest municipal leader for Internet of Things platforms. Uh, he is using smart streetlights. You know, he is one of the first and one of the largest municipal areas and, and leaders that are that are, have this in his environment uh, in North America. David is also a board member of uh, Clean Tech San Diego, a board member of Scale, and a founding member of Metro Lab Network. Uh, he serves as the national and regional leader in smart and sustainable communities. He also co-chairs the Civic uh, in Innovation Executive Chair Program at the Technology Entrepreneurship Center at Harvard, uh, and is a co-chair of the UC San Diego Civic Leadership Council for the School of Global Policy and Strategy. Um, David is instrumental in bringing public sector insights to academic programs. He's also the co-chair of the San Diego Smart Cities Alliance, um, and he is definitely a recognized leader and a regular conference speaker nationally, internationally. I'm happy and I'm, I'm, and I'm pleased to kind of have him on the on the, the panelist today. So, David, thank you for joining us. So, so for next, uh, after David, so we're going to introduce Michael Rothschild. Uh, so, Michael, he's the Senior Director of OT Solutions at Tenable. He's been in the industry for over 20 years. He has 20 years of security experience in the OT space. Um, right now, obviously, he's been at Tenable for a little while now. Um, he has been a professor of marketing before. He has published several works on the topic um, and he also currently occupies an advisory board seat at Rutgers and Ithaca College. Um, he is also a very good expert in this space and has a lot, had a lot of conversations and kind of uh, good talks internationally and nationally as well. So, Michael, thank you uh, for being here and being a part of the panel. So for not to confuse everyone, so we have a lot of, as you guys might see, we have a lot of mics and Michaels on the line today or as, as part of our panelists. Um, so Michael Rothschild is the first one I just introduced. 
going to be introducing now and uh, the first Mike, Mike Furstenberg. He is the director of industrial security of Waterfall Security Solutions. Mike, he brings over two decades of experience in control security. Uh, he specializes in system cybersecurity. Uh, he's also the formal chair of the American Water SCADA Council, uh, and he studied computer science, chemical engineering, and mathematics at the University of Pennsylvania. He's actively participating in ISA, which is a member of the ICS JWG Industrial Steering Team, and serves on committees that have created industrial cybersecurity guidelines and roadmaps in many sectors. Mike Furstenberg, or the first Mike for today, thank you for uh, being here and being part of the panel. It's it a pleasure. Uh, and then last but not least, the second Mike for today, Mike Cannon. Chief Technology Officer, also. So this is another, uh, you know, another leader in the in the government space uh, for Stafford County, Virginia. Um, Mike has over 30 years of IT experience. Um, he's served since 2016 as the CTO or Chief Technology Officer for Stafford County. Um, he manages a staff of about 20 people and about a budget of three million. He's focused on and has been focused on broadband expansion throughout the county for the pandemic and building the first of its kind smart city test bed for the Commonwealth located in Stafford. Uh, we're going to ask him about that later. Just a little heads up for you guys. It also utilizes smart bed technology and a variety of IoT devices to demonstrate and validate a variety of use cases focused on public safety, the environment and quality of life. Um, and he's also the CIO for the International City County Management Association from 2013 to 2015, a nonprofit organization that actually serves over 10,000 members in local government management. Prior to this job, he's served as uh, was the, ICE, uh, the chief information officer CIO for the city of Rockville, Maryland. That's a place near and dear to my heart. I grew up next to Rockville in Maryland. So appreciate that, Mike. Um, he developed and implemented two strat strategic IT plans there and was responsible for building the city's first uh, institutional network of fiber connecting the city's facilities. Uh, and then he's done a number of consulting engage engagements for the city and county over the past two decades, continues to do so for Rockville. Uh, and then he's always the program chair of Society of Information Management Capital Area Chapter for a lot of the C-level tech execs in that area too. Uh, and then he holds a bachelor's degree in economics from Birmingham Young University and a master's, master's degree in business administration uh, from the U University of Maryland Smith School of Business. So Mike Cannon, uh, thanks. Uh, well, the second Mike for today, thank you. And it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the panel too. So, uh, so with that, everyone, that is the panelists for today. A little bit of an intro for you guys. Obviously, we want to get into the contents. Let's go ahead and, you know, kind of go right into it. So for first question, everyone, and, and you know, again, thank you for everyone being here, audience, and as well as, as the panelists. This first question is going to go to David. David Graham, you are this obviously as a CIO for Carlsbad, California. I wanted to ask your opinion to start us off about IoT security, this notion of IoT security, right? Wanted to kind of start off our discussion today looking into, you know, obviously we, when we think of IoT security, uh, we're thinking of technology, we're thinking of tools, we're thinking of, you know, getting, you know, best in breed products or cybersecurity solutions, right? And of course that's a component, um, but I want to start off the conversation today looking at like the people and policies around IoT security. Talk to me about that and how kind of IoT security is not just adding another tool, but it's also dealing with in, in kind of improving upon a lot of the experts and the policies we've built in the IT space for so many years already. Thank you so much for the question. And I'm uh, very interested to hear from all of our panelists uh, through this. Appreciate Kerasoft pulling us all together because, you know, IoT or people even say IOE, Internet of Everything, is something that has been a very hot topic. But I like to think about the fact that we go back to a lot of fundamental principles regarding the deployment of it and just general network cybersecurity. 
sure, we're focusing on the devices. We're focusing on things like smart street lights, smart water meters. Um, we're thinking about the fact that you can you know, deploy these sorts of things, whether it's traffic management, mobility, parking. There are so many different ways that you can use connected devices to support the big goals that our communities have and improve the lives for everyone. And certainly we see really scary type doomsday scenarios of you know, what happens if hackers get a hold of the water system and begin poisoning people. Uh, it's stuff straight out of the movies, right? And while those are, are possible, fundamentally, um, when we look at the types of issues that we're facing, it really comes back to some fundamental things that matter in, uh, in IT and IT security, which first and foremost is, is networks and network security. I think that while you may be concerned about the devices on the edge and making sure that they're secure, we have much greater vulnerabilities in our uh, connectivity and in our networks, oftentimes too many networks, not upgraded, applications that aren't patched, and more importantly, people that aren't patched. And I joke about that because, frankly, the, the biggest weakness we have in our entire cybersecurity scheme are the workers um, and contractors and the folks that are connected to our network, you know, clicking on that link, bringing that dirty thumb drive. Those are the sorts of vulnerabilities that I think not before focusing on the IoT security, but as much effort and resources need to be put into your overall approach to security for all of your systems. And IoT is just another part of that. You can have the most secure devices and if the rest of the network and the people operating it and the people using it are not appropriately trained, haven't are not updated and don't know their role in the scenario, then the most secure devices in the world aren't going to save you from something disastrous. Because we still see, even though those doomsday scenarios uh, of someone taking over your traffic signals and causing accidents are interesting to ruminate about the most likely scenario was going to be a normal ransomware attack, locking up your ability to access data, your ability to operate certain things, because ultimately the vast majority of the folks that are intending to do nefarious things with your network just want to get paid. And however that can happen is what they're going to focus on. So People, policy, programs, and overall cyber health, cyber security, cyber hygiene should be your first focus. And I will tell you that when it comes to the devices themselves, partnering not just on the acquisition of the devices, but the ongoing operations, the security associated with them, and really partnering with those vendors on the outcomes is going to be your best way of ensuring that the needs of the public are met that what the community cares about is being met and that you can have the best cyber posture possible when deploying these exciting new opportunities, devices, and ability really to improve the lives of, of the people that we serve. Perfect. Thanks, David, for that. And, and, and I love, I love that, that you commented, of course, and you just, you know, mentioning the doomsday scenarios, but then of course, just mentioning, you know, as, as we saw ransomware, right? Ransomware, can escalate and, and can kind of hit our IoT networks just by hitting the main IT network, right? And it can kind of traverse and, and, and the same issues that are causing some of the attacks today can obviously plague us for the IoT. What we can do then, go to the next question, David, as, as you know, well said there, uh, this is a kind of a similar question, or I guess another one directed to you as a follow-up to the last one. So talk to me a little bit about 
public engagement when it comes to IoT security, right? Obviously, we have PII to protect, right? We have personal information that the customers or some of our, you know, citizens within our cities have to manage. And, and, and obviously, there's large ramifications for that data to come out and being stolen. But then at the same time, you know, we do have to collect some of that data, right, to better use our IOTs and to better do security. So how do you juggle both sides, looking to secure important information, but then also leveraging it and, you know, that whole aspect of data privacy that, you know, everyone's talking about, that's obviously a big concern these days. So, you know, how do we, how do we take IOTs and, and kind of protect and, and do ensure data privacy from a security perspective? Well, uh, fortunately, in this particular case, you know, the technology really has solved a lot of these issues because you're doing a lot of edge computing and you're only really transmitting what is necessary, the bits and bytes that are necessary for the analytics or to drive whatever solution that you have. And in that way, by setting things to delete, by not retaining things like video and those sorts of images and really just transmitting the analytics, one, you're reducing your cost of connectivity, which is allowing for things like using cellular networks for some of this. But really, a lot of edge computing is going to be one of your best ways of doing that. And then second, having strong policies around retention. Now, here is where, depending upon what state that you're in, you may be a little bit behind the curve because we think about document retention as paper documents and those sorts of things. And many of the policies regarding retaining documents for Public Records Act requests and the like really have kind of a paper-based perspective to them. But I think in many ways, we have found that you really don't need to collect or keep for a long period of time sensitive PII. In most of the scenarios, unless you're talking about public safety scenarios, you know, you're talking about parking management, traffic and mobility, water meter reading, you don't even need to be collecting and analyzing PII. You can do, even if you're doing you know, video analytics, a lot of that can happen at the device on the edge, and then you're only transmitting what is necessary to drive whatever it is that you're doing. Now, when you're talking about public safety systems, public security systems, recording video, retaining that video for things like, you know, law enforcement and investigations, that's going to be a little bit different. But there again, we have a long history of how to deal with things like public safety camera systems. I mean, shoot, the city of London has one basically CCTV camera in the city for every three citizens. For every three residents in London, there is a camera. So we've dealt with this situation before. It really comes down to making sure that the public has appropriate expectations as to what's occurring, they understand the rationale, the reason why, and that you're setting your policies really to when that data is no longer required to be retained or needed, that it is being deleted, it's being dumped. And really thinking through on the front end in your deployment, do you actually need to be retaining that PII to accomplish the goals that you have in the first place? And I would argue with everything that I've seen, most of the time you don't. So I'd like to jump in here as well, um, because of the focus of the question on PII and protecting the data, uh, David's answer, delves into that in depth with the bits and bytes, document retention policies. And we have to remember, uh, and we've learned this lesson in other realms, that in this realm, it's not just data that we're protecting. It's familiar. We've been working with data for decades, so we, we do tend to gravitate to it. But it's also a cyber physical system in, in many ways. Uh, so we do have to be prepared for 
for the security of the physical world as a result of what we're doing in the cyber world. David uh, started alluding to that in his previous answer, uh, talking about the networks and the and the technology used to enforce what the people define as the security. So I want to make sure that we're uh, taking a holistic view of what is security and not focusing solely on the data. Good point there, Mike. And, and just to piggyback off of that a little bit, and you mentioned, you know, it is a physical system, right? And and we've heard of, I mean, we've seen this, right? Like we've seen, you know, to some extent, the colonial gas pipeline attack. We've seen instances of systems being turned off, ransomware, you know, encrypting cities and all whole networks. For example, you know, one of the ones I studied back in 2018, the city of Atlanta, they had their utility districts and, and their utility uh, basically portals encrypted and, and, and shut down. So then no one could log in and no one could pay their water bill, right? Those doomsday things. But, you know, at the same time, so to kind of piggyback on what you just mentioned, you, you talked about obviously physical systems, protecting them. Talk to me a little bit about, like, you know, some of the attacks we've seen, ransomware and, and you know, how is it affecting, you know, what, what in the case of colonial gas pipeline, maybe we shed some light there. Um, but just curious to hear your thoughts on that. So I was wondering how long it would take for somebody to say the words colonial pipeline. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's 2021. It happens. Um, uh, to be clear, I, wa- I want to make absolutely certain I do not speak for colonial pipeline. I am not associated with them. Uh, they're not a customer. Uh, anything I will say about colonial is from the public space. I also do want to clarify, um, you know, when we're looking at cyber physical systems, the fact that people can't pay their water bill is is not a doomsday scenario. The water utility will uh, will bill them tomorrow, as long as we keep the water pumping to them on demand of certain quality today. That's what's important. And that, that goes back to the networks that David was talking about at the, at the start of this, when we've got to know what our networks are and make sure that we're, that we're focused on the protection in real time of, of our systems that that matter at the lowest levels. You know, the uh, the fact is, if it, if we've got that connectivity, if we haven't been managing the connectivity or we haven't been documenting the connectivity appropriately, we may have to shut down out of an abundance of caution, which is now the key phrase for 2021. We shut down out of an abundance of caution. Had to do that if there was connectivity or there was dependencies on resources from the critical network to an internet accessible network, and that's really what what it comes down to is uh, we've got to we've got to make sure that we understand what we can separate so that when the ransomware does hit that billing system, when the ransomware does hit the administrative uh, computers in the municipality, well, the MUA computers used for the treatment and distribution of water and the wastewater system sanitation, they they keep working because we've done our homework and we've implemented proper security solutions to enforce the policies uh, that the people want, as David alluded to earlier. Good point there, Mike, and and thanks for that answer. And and, as you mentioned, of course, right, having the solutions, looking at all the increasing breaches, it all comes down, as David mentioned, right, too, in the beginning policy and, and technology and, 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 and at the end of the day, having tools to enforce that policy, right? So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, thank, a good point there. So to kind of switch topics a little bit, obviously, you know, Mike, I wanted to, he- wanted to hear from you, too. 
you know, as obviously as the CTO for Stafford County, I've heard a lot of talk about this test bed, this smart test bed. Talk to me a little bit about that. Curious to, um, I'm curious to learn about that initiative and you know, how you're using it from an IoT case, uh, security perspective. First of all, thank you for uh, including me on your panel. It's an honor to be part of it and with all these distinguished presenters. So, so the smart city, or actually it's the Virginia Smart Community Test Bed is the first of its kind in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It was a partnership with Stafford County and the Center for Innovative Technologies, which is the Commonwealth of Virginia's nonprofit arm. So it's essentially an extension of the state uh, that largely funded this. So we've housed it literally to my left in the image behind me. And what it basically uh, is is um, a place where companies can bring certain IoT use cases around smart cities and smart technologies to test and validate and hopefully bring into production as well. We are about to embark on building a downtown Stafford. Uh, we want to make it smart. It's a greenfield development. So we have an opportunity to start from the ground up, you know, start from the dirt on up and not have to retrofit anything. So we look at it as a real opportunity. And, and I think some of the participants in our test bed also do, and that's why they're interested because not only can they test and validate, but they could literally bring it across the street to um, our new downtown that we're building. The types of um, use cases are really focused around public safety and um, also in the environment. We have um, 15 flood sensors we've deployed. We also have smoke sensors that are picking up signatures of forest fires and, and other type of particulate matter across the nation, including you know, the forest fires out west. We're able to pick those up. And um, those are, you know, through a Homeland Security grant that CIT, Center for Innovative Technologies, received that kind of extends on to us. We also have doing a lot with drones and a partnership we have with Verizon and this product they have called Skyward, which provides a dashboard with situational awareness of drone activity. So you can literally have a drone operator that can make the image that there's the video that they're seeing available in a cloud environment for um, others. So in a public safety environment, that means you could have the 911 center being able to view the, the drone footage as well as um, other officers in the field. And it works, you know, obviously for fire and rescue as well. And the nice thing is it also provides telemetry data, a breadcrumb map of the trail the drone has gone over and all that can be recorded and kept for evidence purposes. So a really powerful tool that Verizon is developing you know, and is an active participant in our test bed. We also have other things like um, indoor 3D imaging. We're doing also um, a smart lighting project um, with a company called Signify. It's a division of uh, Philips Lighting out of uh, Netherlands. And then looking also to do some things with um, smart health in the near future too, uh, with smart hospitals and telemedicine. And so the way the test bed functions is not... Um, we also use it as a place for entrepreneurs and others to visit and learn about these technologies and what we're doing. One of the very first use cases we did, which um, we wanted to demonstrate the security of all these devices, as the other panelists have mentioned, you know, IoT security is um, you know paramount for any kind of successful smart city or, or utility operations. And with IoT devices, even if you were to just slow them down or speed them up, you can wreak havoc, as we learned with Stuxnet or um, other types of attacks that potentially could happen. Um, in the water treatment world, you know, the Florida example I think is a great one. And you know, if you can affect the amount of chlorine going into a water supply, you could literally kill thousands of people very quickly. Um, that's all that is significant the uh, risk is. So the use case we, um, we launched was um, 
one based on zero trust platform. And if you can separate your network using cryptography, you can um, really make things infinitely more secure. We had a partnership with a company called Enclave that um, has a blockchain-based IoT security platform. It provides a way with these administrator console and orchestrator consoles to essentially create a uh, bridge for IoT devices to reside in a secure network environment. Yeah, perfect, Mike. You know, definitely for that test bed, I think that's pretty cool. And, and you know, you, you Mike, and, and of course, our, our leaders, you know, we have both sides, right? So we have people working at Tenable and Waterfall Security on the security side. We have, you know, the actual technology test bed that you're working on, Michael Cannon. And then basically, it's, it's, it's interesting because you guys are working on some of, you know, the future technologies that I hear about, right, that we hear about, stuff of comic books kind of thing, right? I think it's a pretty cool to see some of the things and projects that you guys have, you know, I know the next time I'm driving through Stafford, you know, I'll definitely think about it, right, on my end and, and some of the things you're working on. I think it's cool and the technology is cool, right? And this is why I guess IoT's exploded, of course, right, so recently, which, you know, as Mike and and, and, and we're going to get to you, Michael, as well, Michael Rothschild, uh, that brings security challenges, right? And we'll have to talk about that. But it, it is, from your perspective, um, Michael Cannon, it's definitely interesting to see you know, some of the projects and some of the test beds and, you know, as you mentioned, using some drone footage for for police forensics and stuff like that, right? Like those kind of possibilities are pretty cool. And I think we just have to take good care to make sure security is in place too, right? So um, right. one of the things we're also doing just briefly is um, extending it to 5G too. So we have a Verizon 5G tower um, right outside our test bed plus one inside. When you can start getting speeds of like 3.2 gig <laughs> on a cell phone, it opens up a whole lot of possibilities of things you can do. Yeah, I'm sure. As a consumer's perspective, right, watching that video so much quicker and more buffering, right? But uh, obviously, there's actual real life use cases there too. So to go off from that a little bit, I wanted to bring this next question for you, Michael, uh, Mike Rothschild. So obviously, going to say the last names to make it clear. Obviously, I wanted to kind of get you in the the discussion as well. Um, As a leader for Tenable, of course, you know, I know IoT, and we talked a little bit about it just now, we've been talking about IoT devices. By definition, there's something with an IP address, right? We've heard a lot of talk about people saying, well, why can't we just use traditional security? Why can't we just use firewalls, antivirus, intrusion prevention, right? Anything that we've been working with, you know, traditional IT systems and your desktop laptops, will it not work? Can it not safeguard our smart city? What's the challenge here? Why, why is what makes an IoT, I guess, so much different? So uh, IoT technology is, is extremely interesting in that it provides just so much in terms of efficiency, cost efficiency effectiveness of things. Just to use one example, you know, the Alaskan pipeline, you know, there used to be people that actually went out and checked that it was still flowing, what the viscosity was, what the temperature was, that somebody didn't go out and shoot a hole in it. Today, all of those things can be monitored by the industrial internet of things or IIoT. So it's not, you know, your your Strava watch or something else like that, that's loading up stuff, but it's actually stuff that's put in an industrial environment. Smart cities is a perfect example. Uh, we call that the the OT environment. And really within uh, a smart city, within anything industrial, anything critical infrastructure, we talked already about water, we talked about pipelines, adding something with an IP address allows, it, it essentially opens up an additional attack factor. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It just means we have to provide the appropriate security. And when we look at OT environments as compared to IT environments, OT environments up until 20 years ago were air-gapped. 
Um, there was nothing that came in. There was nothing that went out. And over the course of time, for some very good reasons, there has been a convergence of IT and OT. Some industry, some customers more than others, uh, but uh, there are openings to the internet. And IIoT, the Industrial Internet of Things, is, is one of those openings. OT does operate in a very different environment. In some cases, uh, somebody explained to me once uh, that it's like a, kind of like IT of the 1980s uh, in terms of maturity from a security perspective. There are things you can do in an IT environment that is fine. You can do port scans. You can look for things that are open, all this other stuff. In an OT environment, OT environments don't lend themselves to do scanning. The, the actual network will fall over. The PLC or DCS or whatever else have you that run things like smart cities will actually not work. So you do need different security. That's not to say that IT security is important. We have IT devices in an OT environment, things like HMIs, which is the human interface for the PLC or the programmable logic controller. There's a lot of IT devices in an OT environment, but we also have to safeguard our OT things, things like programmable logic controllers, DCSs, these types of things. And they do require a slightly different way of doing security. Same concept. We're still looking at policy, anomaly, signature. We're looking at devices, but they have to be done a little bit differently in order to maintain the integrity of that crucial system. Perfect. Yeah, Michael. And that's that's what I've seen on my end too, of course, with just some of the, the tools that I've worked with and some of the users, right? Legacy systems, right? It's always going to be something that plagues OT environment, legacy, legacy, right? Like it's hard to patch. It's hard to update. It's something that, you know, we can change out a computer every couple of years, every two or three years, we can patch it. Uh, try doing the same with like a, you know, a, a dam controller, a highway, a highway monitoring system, or, you know, assembly line, you know, whatever, you know, energy grid uh, sensors, you know, those are all kind of they run on proprietary legacy protocols, operating systems. It's you have to purchase. It's expensive to replace, right? So definitely, I'm hearing that as well, and, and I'm happy you you commented, of, of course, on that. Mike, I think I see um, you yeah, wanted to add I've something. Got to too, jump so. in. That was put there to last twenty years, thirty <laughs> years. It's only legacy because you're used to three to five years in the IT accounting space. You got to adjust your time frame. <laughs> Good point there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know. And I guess it's part of the whole, the spoiled generation too. I get an iPhone every new year, right? So there's a definitely a difference between space. So, okay. So yeah, Michael, thank you so much for that. Um, Michael Rothschild, sorry. Got to say the last names here. To continue off of that, I wanted to change a little bit of topics. So obviously we talked about some security. We talked about some of the, you know, the characteristics of OT, IOT. Uh, I, want, let me, I wanted to get into kind of partners and working with partners and, and kind of this, uh, David mentioned this in the beginning that, Hey, it's a relationship, right? It, it, you know, us, the municipal leaders need to partner and have a relationship with, you know, some of the providers out there that whether that be for a technology, whether that be for security, but that partnership is what over time is going to get through some of these challenges. So I guess, you know, Mike, we'll go to you. And, and of course, Michael uh, Rothschild, if you want to chime in too, because you guys are both on the partner side and the vendor side, but as a representative uh, from a vendor, Mike, how are you working with other partners to help address Budget concerns around IoT security, obviously, obviously budget's always something, you know, we don't want to overlook security, but at the same time, you know, you want to have that relationship. What are some of the things that you've seen or some of the ways that you were, you know, you've partnered with others or partnered with some of the cities? It's a great question. The fact is, uh, there's a lot of vendors out there who are going to come in. Uh, 
I'm selling you this secure widget. I'm selling you that secure thing. I'm going to make you secure with the thing that I sell or the service that I sell. And it's kind of a meaningless statement because there actually is no such thing as security. You can be more secure uh, than you are today, or you know, you could be less secure than you are today. But can you actually be secure? Can you make that IP connected uh, device that Michael was alluding to? Can you make that secure? Well, it's if it's IP and it's got a connection to the internet, bi-directional or remote access. Well, it's a ransomware target. It's a target of opportunity. You know, it's just something that could be found out there and take on uh, whatever is uh, floating about. That's happened more often than we hear about just from the folks that we work with at, at various uh, infrastructure owners. Uh, so that in terms of budget, I always caution people uh, against talking about a security budget because security, like I said earlier, it's, it's really subjective. First of all, you, you as the asset owner have to define security. If you're looking to me as the vendor to tell you what security is, well, we got a problem from the start. I would couch it as risk. You know, I'd, and I haven't always been a vendor for 15 years prior. I was an asset owner and getting budget for security is tough. Getting budget for operational risk reduction or risk avoidance that's a significantly easier challenge because now I'm talking in business terms that, that can be understood by the folks who control the dollars and cents that are going to be allocated to my budget. So, yeah, we work with folks. Uh, we're a technology company. We sell technology. But, you know, we're happy to work with folks on how to get that money for that budget to do what they need to do to reduce the risk for their systems. Um, I won't go into it uh, in depth, but you know, we, I've given uh, plenty of presentations on how much is enough when it comes to cybersecurity, because it's always possible to spend more. How do you know when you spend enough? And I think I, dovetailing off that, you know, one of the important things is that every organization has spent a lot on security. Firewall, IDS, VPN, you know, you name it, they've had it. One of the most important things that I think for, for everybody on this call is to use the investment that you've made. And what that means is, especially when we talk about things like um, IIoT or IoT technology, going to the IT side, going to the OT side, right? It's that lateral creep of an attack. So if you can bring the technologies together and have them work together, that's really important. And just to single out Mike for a second, perfect example, Tenable and Waterfall work together. So you know, we will check the security on the OT side. It goes through the waterfall firewall and can go to a SOAR or SIM product seamlessly, and it can be secured. So when you start to use these things together, what you're actually building is an ecosystem of trust. And that really helps you find some of these lateral attacks that can start in one area of the network and easily traverse elsewhere. So use the technology that you have. If you add technology, make sure that they can work together to have that ecosystem of trust. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Michael. And, and Mike, you know, on my end, I always tell people we don't want to rip and replace, right? Those are just things when you get into budget and you get into rip and replace, that's just a conversation you don't want to have. It's just putting you on the wrong foot, right? So yeah, absolutely. You know, how do we work with the existing tools you do have, partner and integrate with them. And then also, of course, partner with yourself, right? partner with, you know, establish a relationship where we can continue to build, you know, that security solution for your OT environment. So thank you guys for that.
I guess to you guys, Michael Cannon and David Graham, do you guys want to add anything on your end? Obviously, from the you know from the government leader perspective, from the asset uh, holder, anything to add as as far as partnerships with vendors and, and and you know all that and what Michael and Mike just mentioned. Sure, I mean I could start. So the challenge in local government is you know you're making budgets where you have to anticipate 18 to 24 months out. In a lot of cases, from the time the budget process starts. So the time you actually get your money, um, you know, we're already starting our budget process for our next fiscal year, which starts July 1st of 2022. And so I've got to anticipate between now and the end and then June 30th of 2023. And that's not easy in the world of technology. And with security and the threat landscape constantly changing, it's really, really challenging uh, from a procurement standpoint. And then partnerships are essential. You know, we have some managed services agreements and yes, and certainly some security monitoring and SOC uh, services that we receive. I mean, those are the kind of things that, you know, really help bridge that gap when you can't necessarily staff up or buy technology at a whim, like, you know, would be in a perfect world you'd want to be able to do. And then, you know, the test bed has really, really helped us because, for example, the zero trust um, model with Enclave is something that, you know, we're looking at for our SCADA systems and other things. So. Um, I think being a part of some innovative things um, has really led to some uh, really great things for us um, as a county and hopefully something that can be replicated to other communities within the Commonwealth or, or outside of Virginia. And I really commend Michael Cannon for what they've done with the test bed and having done you know, many different pilots. I think there's a couple of approaches to the partnership with a vendor that can be really useful. The first is pilots are helpful, but I'm more of the opinion of pilot to procurement. So a pilot is just a part of what you're already intending to do on the procurement path. If you just want to deploy something small scale, prove it out, see if it works, and then try to make a decision on whether you're going to adopt that solution, I think you're going to end up with a much longer time frame as opposed to saying, look, we've identified the challenge, we've defined it, we have one, two, or three vendors that we want to test out their solution. But one thing that we know for sure is that this is a challenge that we want to solve, that there will be resources behind it. And it's something that meets public goals, political goals, internal goals. So you're not starting to say, oh yeah, let's just test out a bunch of different types of technology. If you want to run a test bed and you have a leadership that believes in that, great, that will work. But I think for most cities, it comes down to a very clear definition of the challenge you're trying to solve, bringing in the partners that can help you solve that challenge, piloting to some extent to see if a solution is the right one to solve that challenge. But the challenge definition and the clear understanding between the vendor, vendors, and the municipality that the ultimate goal is solving the challenge, not just trying out a bunch of different types of technology, and that it's one that there will be resources behind, that there will be support behind, that you're really, it's a traffic problem. It is a water quality problem. It is a environmental pollution problem. Something that, that there is political will behind and administrative support for. Pilot all you want, but I think both the vendor needs some certainty that the time and effort that they're going to invest in piloting solutions hopefully will pay off if their technology works with a larger contract to do X, Y, or Z. And for the, the community, for the city, you have uh, identified something that may transcend, let's say, changes in city manager leadership or your political leadership, because it's something that at its core is important to the community. And trust me, 
you can always find a problem that needs a solution in a city. So that is not so much the problem. The problem is a clear definition of the challenge that both the municipality, the vendors, et cetera, can buy into. And then pilot to procurement are some approaches that I've seen and used that have been really useful. Thanks for that perspective, David. And, and you know, it's good to see, you know, and kind of obviously, as you mentioned, pilots for sure, pilot to procurement. I, I've, I've seen that for sure. And I'm, I'm, you know, I think that's something that everyone is doing and, and or shooting for at least and striving to do so. Happy that, um, you know, the resources are behind this, of course, and, and, and behind kind of finding solutions for some of these new problems. Kind of to transition to this, the last topic for today, guys. So obviously the future, right? What does the future hold? And, you know, I'm sure everyone here has some thoughts on that from a vendor perspective, from from the city's perspective, municipality's perspective, what they're working on. Obviously, I've heard the, the term digital twin. We talked a little bit about that in our IoT data analysis webinar that we did a couple of weeks ago. Is there a similar use case for digital twin technology and IoT security at all? Personally, I don't know. Uh, maybe you guys can chime in, but that's one aspect of the question. The other aspect, of course, is just in general, hey, what do you think the future holds for IoT security, You know, zero trust incorporated within IoT security? Um, I guess what we can do here, I'm going to start with you, Michael Cannon, and then we can kind of go around the panel. But Michael, anything to add on here in terms of, in your opinion, what you think the future holds you know, for IoT security? I think um, with the increased sophistication of attacks and, and threats out there, um, it's going to be even more critical that hardware vendors uh, that are making these sensors and, and um, the networks that are built around um, are focused on security. So much of smart cities and, and the technology behind them are all about improving the quality of life of citizens. You can also wreck the quality of life of citizens if you don't do it right. So, And then also data privacy, protecting you know, personally identifiable information and all of the things around that as Many of you see, you know, privacy has become at the forefront of so many things these days, and um, and you know, certainly European standards are not the same, are, are even tighter. And I think those are going to gradually find their way here, like they have in California, and um, and will be in other parts of the country. Perfect. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. We can go to you next, David, if you want to chime in. So uh, I agree, and I will add that uh, what the future holds is more of the same, which basically is there's going to be a a rising trend in more and different types of IoT that gets deployed. We will, as humans, be more connected, and the systems that run our communities will be more connected than ever before, which will increase the vulnerabilities. And the bad folks are going to get more sophisticated, and we'll have to get sophisticated along with it. And so I think. Setting a, and this may be a a bit doom and gloom, but setting an expectation amongst the public and leadership that cybersecurity is something that is everyone's issue and a collective challenge to address. For example, we just launched a cyber awareness for small business program where actually the city is providing threat assessment software to small businesses and training because our businesses, you know, that just started coming out of the COVID situation could get hit and you can see businesses actually going out of business. So we're seeing this as a community-wide issue, question, and problem. And as sophisticated as we will be, no one, to Mike Furstenberg's point, will ever be fully secure. There will be no perfect. We will continue to be vulnerable. We will continue to be hacked. We will continue to be breached. The difference, I think, is setting an expectation that we have done everything possible to reduce the likelihood, and more importantly, can 
rapidly respond and be resilient to any attack that ends up happening. I think that is the new perspective that should be infused in our communities, in our leadership across the board. There is no suit of armor that cannot be pierced. I mean, we've seen this through history, right? We figure out the next new armor and then somebody invents the gun, right? We invent the next new you know, defense system and somebody invents a bigger bomb. So that is the exact same thing as it relates to cybersecurity. Reset the expectations of the community, your elected officials and leadership that it is not a question of if, it's when, but that we are as prepared as possible and we have set things up to bounce back as quickly as possible. I think that is the new approach and will really help address the concerns around the deployment of, of IoT because let's face it, there is a lot of benefit for the operation of our communities, for the benefit of the public, for the well-being of our lives that can come from rapid deployment of IoT if done properly and correctly. And setting the expectations and the value uh, analysis associated with that, I think will be crucial. And ultimately, if we're doing this 10 years from now, we will see great benefits from what has been deployed in our communities that it's tra- will transform the way that we live. Perfect. Thanks so much for that, David, and good context. I guess, uh, Mike, first, and we'll go to you next. Great. Well, it's been an honor to be a part of uh, this panel with everybody here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to uh, respectfully disagree with some of the things that have been said and uh, hopefully uh, limit the inflammatory nature of what I'm saying. Yes, there's going to be more systems. That can't be argued. There's all, we, we know there's going to be more. We project that there's going to be more ransomware. We project that there's going to be new attacks, and we have absolutely no control over the attackers. Uh, It's foolish for us to think that we do when we look at the risk equation and the the threats and the vulnerabilities. uh, Well, we don't have much control over either of those. We don't have much control over the likelihood if we decide to connect our systems to an internet to the internet or to a network that is connected to the internet, that our stuff can be reached through a hop uh, or through through a pivot point, uh, depending on your uh, choice of nomenclature. Uh, so that's what we really are looking for. That's what I'm looking for. The future is a shift away from the intent to secure devices to the management of risk of systems. I think that's where the future is headed. You know, it was mentioned uh, a couple times uh, by various people, the need for resiliency and recovery. And I think we've demonstrated with a pipeline, with a water company, with a traffic light, with a streets department, that we cannot do that fast enough for the public to be satisfied. Armed with that, we need to really consider how we're managing the risks associated with what we're deploying making sure that we're going in with our eyes wide open and truly evaluating the risks, understanding what we have within our control. Perfect. Thanks so much, Mike. And then, you know, obviously, last but not least, Michael Rothschild, if you want to get get your comments in. I think all of my colleagues on the panel have, have raised points that I would have raised as well. You know, I think at the end of the day, we don't know what's happening next. We don't know who the threat actors are going to be. It sometimes can be an insider that does something completely innocent, but opens up things. It could be nation states. It could be hackers. It could be anybody. You know, if we were having this discussion a year ago, we would have been talking more about malware than ransomware. 
So there's always a new threat du jour. And I think the most important thing is, is to recognize that there are going to be threats. It's amorphous. We can't predict what they are. I think what we can learn from that and all of the technologies in the world will start to pivot towards visibility. If you know what you have, you can start to secure it. And I don't mean I have you know, a server, I have a PLC or whatever, but actually knowing what is happening, what's your patch level, what's your firmware version, who has access to this, are they running risky protocols, are ports open that shouldn't be uh, open. I think having that deep situational awareness is going to help us in the future because once we know what's there, we know what needs to be secured. Perfect. Thank you so much, Michael. But I do want to thank Mike, Michael, uh, Michael Rothschild, Michael Cannon, uh, David Graham. <laughs> Never going to get used to that, but definitely uh, thank you guys for being a part of here. I'll make sure we can get a, a Michael moderator next time too. So, um, But anyway, thanks for sharing your wisdom expertise with us. Thank you, audience, for joining us. I hope this was informative. I hope it was helpful. Uh, we got to hear from different perspectives, different you know points, counterpoints, objections, whatever, and all that kind of good stuff. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information on how Kerasoft, Tenable, or Waterfall can assist your agency, please visit www.kerasoft.com slg smart city webinar series or email us at countonkerasoft at kerasoft.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.